Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com. Via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline, he's going to be a part of a new show right now, still closing that the week with our good friend Jay Query. Kevin and Query, weekday morning, 7 until 10 a.m. Kevin Bowen joins us now. He is going to be a part of uh, – he and Andy Sweeney, is it the uh, morning wake-up call? Um what, help me out here, Kev. I'm sorry. What is it? Yeah, I, I remember one time you suggested that the morning show should be called The Morning Wood with Kevin and whoever. The Morning Wood. Fellow. Is yeah, that what it yeah, is? The now, Morning Wood? Did, 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 because I thought David Wood, because he's the guy that runs the show, would, would have come up with The Morning Wood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, I think that was that was just a close runner-up. To uh, it will be the wake-up call with KB and ah, Andy starting on Monday. The wake-up call, right? Huh? Uh, yep, yep, yep. So yeah, I think morning was like uh, cl- close runner-up. Hey, um, James, is David Wood still there? Run down the hall, James, right now, and see if David Wood <laughs> see if we can change the name to Morning Wood because I think I like that better. I'll get right on that. Thank you. Because I mean you could you could spell it W O U L D Morning Wood, right? Well, that that could probably be taken a couple different different directions as well. Um Yeah. The old wake up call with K B and Andy. Um that'll be uh that'll be myself well. and Andy Sweeney coming up. Uh, on at seven a.m. on uh, on Monday. Have you had him on yet, or is that? I know he's making. I have not. I think shows. that's coming up on Friday. I can't remember. So one time, I, I think I was either in Detroit for a Final Four, which was awful, by the way, because it's Michigan and Michigan sucks. But I can't remember if it was Detroit or Houston or maybe even San Antonio. But I actually went to to lunch with Andy and some dudes from Louisville, some Anderson guy that I think oh. went to Kansas City. And and, no, Andy, I, I, and they're good dudes. So you, you'll have some fun yeah. with Andy. I can't wait to listen. And, and I also want to tell you this, uh, that I think you and Jake – did such an incredible job, man. And and I know that, you know, you're going to go down a new path right here. But be proud of the two years of you and Jake because you guys are absolutely outstanding. Well done. Well, I, and now we're just going to I kind of spread the wealth that. with your greatness around. So that's great. Yeah, it means a lot coming from you and giving your, your, your history, at, you know, not only on our station, but certainly in this market. And I've – not to feed Jake's ego, and I, he's probably in peak nap time right now, knowing Jake. So maybe we'll avoid uh, him hearing this. But I thoroughly enjoyed working with him, and um, he's got a hell of a brain and a hell of a heart. And I think he's kind of helped me a lot in this industry and in this market. So I will miss him. But like you just said, uh, I think it makes a lot of sense from a station standpoint to, to spread him into that midday slot. And I've heard great things about Andy. I've enjoyed getting to know him here this week, and look forward to uh, his, his energy joining us on uh, on Monday morning. So, yeah, it's it's funny, too. Here's what I don't want you guys to do. You guys don't go crazy and be great and make me the one that sucks. You know, because right now, right now, everybody says I suck and then it's kind of a joke. I don't want it to no longer be a joke and say, hey, you know, this guy sucks. So, okay? Yeah. You promise yeah, me that? Hashtag JMC sucks or JMV sucks turns into the real thing. That's when you got the mission. Yeah. Right? 
Yeah, someone make that argument that it already has. Um, anyway, <laughs> so somebody had just tweeted or X'd at me and said, hey, man, I thought that was a great misdirection for the Colts yesterday, you know, taking the spotlight off of Jonathan Taylor and announcing Anthony Richardson's going to be the starter. Um, I don't buy that at all. I think they wanted to get it out there. I think the timing was great to get it out there. That's a great decision. And there's nothing around here, especially with me, that is going to make anybody forget about Jonathan Taylor's situation. So I thought that that was a lame take. You? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I can't say I, I thought that was PR spin, I, to your point. Um, and I said it to Jake yesterday morning in our first hour. I said, Jake, this is now is the time to, I think, throw Anthony Richardson into the Agreed. full starting, you know, throttle, repetitions, whatever you want to call it. Because as you're going to be out there and you're out there right now, each of the next two nights, you're going to see the Bears. And then, of course, Saturday and the next Tuesday at the joint practice in Philly and next Thursday, the preseason finale, you don't need to waste time, you know, Gardner Minshew, you know, throwing bubble screens to whoever um, in these joint sessions or in these preseason games. When the starting defense from the opponent comes out there, you need to get Anthony Richardson used to that. You need to, I think, get the 10 guys around him offensively used to the types of plays and the type of quarterback that's going to be out there. So um, I did not take it as that at all. I still think the Jonathan Taylor storyline is here. It's still filled with drama. It's still filled with entrenched sides. And that storyline I don't see ending anytime soon. Maybe it went to the back burner for a couple of hours yesterday, but we still spent plenty of time on it this morning because, again, I think it's a huge, huge storyline. I think it's a huge storyline league-wide as well yeah it's a kevin bowen morning show the morning wake-up call which i may try to get turned into the morning wood um james did you go down there yet what do you think kev you think james went down there as i asked him to yeah james is such a hard worker you're 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 off site you're remote i don't think he wants to run the risk of something going wrong so i think he's probably saving it for the break kevin is exactly right on that one right there all right well if i see chris bowen i'm going to ask him and see what he thinks oh sure yeah, well, Chris is an avid listener, <laughs> avid, avid, avid reader. I'm sure he'll give you a strong opinion on that. I, I tell you what I was going to do. I was going to go work out somewhere. Where's he working out up in here? Because my man's throwing around weights like crazy right now. I'm assuming yeah, he's working he out up here still, right? I know. I'm always worried about the threads on his shirt if they're going to pop out. I, I would have guessed that indoor facility. Look like straight and about 500 yards. And you see that big indoor facility next to Pro X? Uh, I, yeah. I, I'm guessing that's where he's working out. So uh, Kevin Bowen, the new morning show, he and Andy Sweeney begins coming up on Monday. He's with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline right now, Colts camp. Six o'clock to start the first of two joint practices with the Colts and the Bears up here in Westfield. Um, I ask you a similar question regarding the Pacers, Kev, last year. Um, how much patience would the Pacers fans have? And it was fortunate. Because in December, the Pacers gave them a lot of reason to be excited. And that held over even for a team that didn't make the postseason. How much patience in year number seven of Chris Ballard in a season in which a lot of people think it's more about just the quarterback evolution and maturation than it is about winning anything else? How much patience will these Colts fans around here have? Yeah, that's a good question because I think, like, you can have frustration and a lack of patience with Ballard, but yet at the same time, you're going to extend a long-ish leash with Anthony Richardson and Shane Steichen. And I guess that's kind of the awkward nature that Jim Mercer decided to operate in. And 
in a way, it's similar to 2017 when yeah. you know the Colts fired Ryan Grigson but retained Chuck Pagano. Obviously, they still had Andrew Luck, even though Luck didn't play in that 2017 season. So, it, it, in a way, of those three prongs, the GM, the head coach, and the quarterback, you've changed two of them, but... You know, while a ballot resume would get you fired in probably 95% of NFL markets, uh, it's not getting you fired here. So he is getting another leash. And I, I think of you have pointed this out very accurately. And I almost understand as much as I look at the ballot resume and think, man, that does not deserve a seventh year. At the same time, you have to give Shane Sykin and Anthony Richardson as much support as you can early on as firing of the GM, bringing in a new one who has no affiliation with Steichen or Richardson, that all of a sudden turns them into kind of the lame duck scenarios in this. It, it's a bit similar to the team, you know, we're going to see tonight in Westfield. You know, when you look at Ryan Poles and you look at Matt Eberflus, they did not draft Justin Fields. So that's not great for Justin Fields and staying in Chicago. You know, if they view a chance to – have a quick out, you know, extend the leash, go in a different direction, however you want to call it, they can do that. And I don't think the ownership would think too much of it because, again, it's not like they are the ones responsible for drafting fields where they did. Um, so that, I think, is a little bit of a different dynamic from what you have here in Indianapolis versus what you have with the Bears. So. Um, I see Chris Ballard maintaining his job, clearly. I see him maintaining it for a couple of years. Um, now, again, how the fan base views that patience, that'll be something I think is kind of tough waters to go through. But I think for the most part, they'll be so locked in on Richardson that maybe it, it almost gives Ballard a bit of a reprieve from the fan base. Well, and and it's true. I mean, Jim has – confidence you know and 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 jim has allowed this reboot so i mean you're talking about people ask me and i'm sure they ask you the same thing so what do we got here we got you know this year if things don't go well next year if it doesn't go as well and i've said this kev that at least three years i I think it's going to be into the third year to where the expectations are going to be either do or you're done type of situation i think you're going to get this year to kind of feel your way through it and then you're going to hope to see hopefully you see major strides next year but if you don't see major just seeing strides i think will be enough and that's going to to give you at least a third year to really then say okay this is where we need to be right here and that is a definite reboot hey john and i go back to ballard's opening press conference when chris ballard got up there and called him and that I think I have this quote right, the greatest GM hire of the 21st century or the most impressive resume of a GM hired in the 21st century. Um, It was quite the statement to make. That was a bit cringeworthy. And then when Ballard got up there a few minutes later and, you know, talked about, you know, how quarterbacks just one of 53, that was the other, I think, cringeworthy comment. And now you look at both of those six years into this and now entering a seventh year and you're thinking, boy, I have not seen the greatest 21st century general manager, and I would argue the quarterback is pretty darn important to the operation here. So, uh, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe Ursay thinks back on yeah. that quote a whole lot and says, no, 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 I'm going to hold on for dear life here because, you know, I, there were obviously other reasons to make the move they did with Ryan Grigson after 2016, but, you know, there are also a lot of things in the Grigson resume that look a whole lot different in a positive light for Grigson than they do, you know, Ballard if you just want to compare the previous regime. 
Yeah, and what you don't want to have to do uh, if you're the Colts, if you're Chris or anybody else, is you have to put the evaluation numbers up against one another uh, because, you know, everybody, you know, felt that this was going to be drastically different. And clearly, Kev, it is not. Before I let you go here, uh, Sirius XM NFL, I'm assuming I'm not going to get the same type of situation with Chris today. I got my fingers crossed, but I'm assuming that's not going to happen. But yesterday he was on Sirius XM NFL. He was on, you guys had Solomon Wilcox on this morning. Um, It's weird. All of what he said aside is certainly different than what was talked about at the beginning of camp. And then I can't help but go back, Kev, and think about Jim Irsay with Pat McAfee saying he's healed up and ready to go. I mean, and this doesn't do anything to take away from what I think. This is just more of a situational kind of uh, hold-in opportunity right now than it is anything else. Yeah, I would say the Colts' tone and Ballard specifically, his tone has changed. I mean, with us on opening day, he did not mention a single thing about the ankle injury when he was first asked about Taylor. And then we played that Solomon Wilcox audio and had him on earlier today, and that was the large majority of his answer. I do think it should be pointed out, John, you know, a lot of people have asked, if Taylor was just healthy, he would have an extension. I don't think it's that simple. Um Think back to Taylor's issue in June. You know, in June, when pretty much everybody, I mean, the Colts had 19 different offensive players sitting out in June. If, you know, back then, he was frustrated by where contract talks were at at that point. And so that was a month and a half before training camp started. So I don't think it's as simple as simply, boom, Jonathan Taylor goes out and practices tomorrow and all of this is healed and, and, and cured or however you want to describe it. Um, again, I think we're re- reaching a big-time breaking point in all of this because Taylor, in, in my opinion, is not going to practice this week, and I don't think he practices next week. And now all of a sudden you're two weeks out from the start of the season. And that's, yep. to me, kind of a drop-dead date on him getting ready for week one. No, I, I, I like, like I said, man, I mean, maybe I could be completely wrong, but I look at this more of a, a hold-in right now this is a page from a playbook from representation i think more than it is anything else right here and we shall see all right again congratulations on hanging in the morning and getting andy sweeney it is not going to be the morning wood it is going to be the morning wake-up call correct with you and andy correct and good luck on that ballad pursuit let me know how that goes for you all right well, I mean, I just expected. I brought my ass all the way out here. I mean, wouldn't you do that, right? I, mean, I drove all the way up here from Bargersville. What the hell? Let's send <laughs> yeah, him over here. Bargersville to Westfield <laughs> no joke. That's like an hour long That was long not drive. a joke. I mean, I, I almost had to bring my passport to get my ass in Hamilton County in the first place. <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you do roundabouts in Bargersville, or is that only Hamilton County? We're building them, though. But I mean, well, I mean, you got to think about it. Uh, Center Grove will oftentimes – view themselves as Carmel Jr. So, yeah, we're working on it right now. Yeah. Yeah, so. that makes sense. That makes well, that's going to that's gonna make everybody mad that I see all the time. Mm-hmm. Then I'll have to say, I was just joking. So, yeah, a lot of roundabouts down there. Kevin, got to run, man. Great job out of you as always. Hope to see you up here a little bit later on. Thanks, Sean. I'll see you up there in a bit. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.
Matt Taylor, voice of the Colts, joins us. Are you, you're the hype that, man, right? That is the first missed post in the history of the JMB oh, no, takeover. That's, that's pretty weak right there. How many there. consecutive Saturdays have you not missed a post? I don't think I've ever missed a post on that show. Three straight years uh-huh. of no post you know, missage. This is a true story right here. I, I ask people say, hey, now how do you prep for a show? I do a lot of talking to myself en route to places. <laughs> <laughs> so I, like, I have the first segment every day to where I just kind of go off on everything that I really want to be the major portions of this show. And so I, you do the I, show before I, the show? I, I, rehearse a, I, do, I rehearse a little bit. In the car? I rehearse for that. And then when I'm in the car listening to music, I will rehearse at hitting posts often. So the show, I've, I've seen you do the show. Yeah. So it's it's continuous motion. Like you're you're like an octopus in there. You like you have eight hands yeah. going all at the same time. But the show always has to start with your song. Right. Because you don't have enough time to build up the request at that point. Yeah. So if the show starts at like 7, do you always have like a you think about the lead-off song? I do. Every I, week. Uh, endlessly I think about that and I I try to I try to do something different or there are times I'll give you a great example a couple of weeks ago when Sinead O'Connor passed away, I made sure I came out of the gate with a Sky Point and a couple of, of Sinead O'Connor songs. Yep. So I did the same thing a couple of years ago when Eddie Van Halen passed away. We did basically a – my first hour was basically nothing but Van Halen mm-hmm. then. So mm-hmm. when it's something like that, we certainly recognize that. But if there's nothing – Fortunately, nobody passes away. We don't have to recognize it or it's something we don't want to recognize. Or at the time, I mean, normally I do think about how can I get this party started? And it's like going back to your old school DJ days. How do I get the party started on a great note here? Oh, yeah. How do, how do I get everybody set enthused? Set the tone. Set the yeah, tone. Yeah, I mean, because you can, you can set the tone and it can suck. And you don't want that. You don't <laughs> no want to get off the mark like that. So, yeah, it's important. That stuff is really – it really is important. That's what I do. I mean, mm-hmm. on, a, on, a, on a very – on a much – Smaller scale. No, a larger scale. No, with a I much mean, smaller scale. Look who you're scale. talking to here. No. And no. But I just mean like, you know, when we do Colts programming or we do some rejoiners, like I'll cut the grass and I'll hit the yeah. I'll hit the iPad on shuffle or iPod on shuffle or the phone or whatever. I'm like, I'm going to bank that song for a rejoiner later. You know, like yeah. two, three weeks later, yeah. there's a there's an oldie but a goodie, right. a classic one that comes back, leading us back in from break. Well, I don't know what's playing behind me right here, but whatever that playlist is, is legit. I've heard Blondie and Rapture. I've had cameo and candy yeah it's legit what's by the way there, there is right a now. ton of people here already i saw that it's yeah. awesome i pulled in and they were lined up at the oh, gates yeah. already yeah 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 i pulled in about 350 and they were already probably about i don't know 600 700 yards deep and then they opened the floodgates and there's people here and and the, the good thing about tonight not to get too uh training camp in the weeds but the good thing is no matter where you sit you're going to have a good seat because yeah. you're going to have offense and defense on both fields you know when it's just colts on colts mm. typically what they do is they take over one field for just seven on seven and 11 on 11 so if you get here late you're kind of hosed like if you're at the the other end of the grandstands opposite of the action you really can't see a whole lot tonight you're guaranteed to see some good stuff right you like brett from fox 59 just walk right by me the camera guy didn't say a word i talked to him every hit you week. With the tripod yeah, like. I know it. Don't hit me with your tripod, Brett. Whack Come on, you man. The side of the head. But uh, no, I mean, and, and I would agree. I mean, the whole Bears thing, having them up here, you know, two days and then playing that preseason game on Saturday, um, it makes it pretty cool. I mean, this is going to be pretty cool. And tonight. this is this is the norm now in the NFL. I mean, yep. the Colts are doing it twice for the first time in a training camp setting, right? Playing the Eagles next week or practicing against the Eagles. First time I I can think of them in a long, long time. Mike Chapel would probably know, but I can't remember the last time the Colts traveling to a city to do a joint practice but I think I think with Shane Steichen and just 
prioritizing this and loving. I mean, obviously this year it makes a ton of sense because of the Philly connection where he came from. They just happen to be on the schedule in the preseason. But I, I think this is going to be the norm now. I mean, obviously here it can at, at Grand Park it can, it can accommodate two teams very easily. But I don't think the Colts are going to shy away from – going places earlier before a preseason game and hooking up and doing at least one joint practice. Uh, does it come down relationships to put this together? Because, I mean, I mean, I'm sure that Ryan Poles and, and Chris yeah. have a relationship, I mean, too, I and I'm Matt Eberflus is the head coach. Sure. So, yeah. I mean, I think it helps, but, I mean, I mean, what, what, what was the connection between the Packers yeah. and the Bengals? I mean, I don't know, but I just think teams now just see the positives out of this, and you know, the preseason has morphed into what it is, and I, and I hate that it's become that. I mean, it's always been kind of – I mean, obviously there are exhibitions for a reason, but I think kind of like starting in 2019, you started to see teams veer away from the normal preseason cadence where they would go a little bit in the first game, a little bit more in the second game. The dress rehearsal was always the third game, and then nobody played in the fourth game. It was always sort of the, the back end of the roster bowl. Now with three preseason games in a 90-man rosters, you really don't – and joint practices, you really don't yeah. have any idea. It's it's really a team-by-team team, uh, case on, on how they're going to handle playing time in these preseason games. So, you know, the unfortunate part is for the play-by-play -play guy, you got to know 90-man guys – or. 90-man rosters for both teams because it's a crapshoot on who plays. It's, uh, Matt Taylor, voice of the Colts with us. You were asking me if I, I prepare, do a little rehearsal as far as this show and the Saturday show. Uh, have you done any rehearsing, any new additions you're going to add to some of your play-by-play -play touchdown calls, which hopefully there are ample? Hopefully, hopefully. Yeah, no, I mean, we're, we're going to – I think those things happen. You're going to let this grow organically, are you? I think they have to happen – I'm glad you're not saying unique and organic because normally that's a consultant in the radio that to, doesn't yeah. know his ass from nothing. I know, I know. Right, that's a hot-button issue with you, but but nothing is planned. Unique let's and just, organic. That means you're that a dork way. and you yeah. don't know what you're doing. Yeah, we're not yeah. we're not we're not going out of our way to you know <laughs> Minshew mania and you know you know stuff stuff like play on words like Chris Berman style. <laughs> well, I don't no, we're I don't not doing that. I, Gardner Minshew is awesome, but I don't want to see him out there. I I, I know I'm putting you in the spot, right? But because that means something bad no, for the guy you. that I want to see out there. Right. I don't want anything bad to happen to five. Right. I want five to continue down the path, yeah. maturation, evolution. I want to see either, that with five. Right. It either means injury yeah. or negative things happening on the field. Uh, yes. no that, and that's what I've said all along. It has zero to do with Gardner Minshew. I, honestly, I, for this team, I think he is a perfect backup. Just absolutely and, perfect. You couldn't have found anybody else. And the way that he handled things, whatever day that was, I think Tuesday. Gosh, that was just yesterday. Um, but, I mean, he, he certainly signed here for a reason. It's, a, it's another opportunity. Mm. It was another opportunity to compete. And, and when you, whenever you draft a quarterback top five, everybody kind of knows what that means. But at the end of the day, you're competing with a rookie quarterback. And he's got 24 starts under, under his belt. He's got four years of experience to bank. I mean, his completion percentage is just off the charts um, historically through his career. Um, but – at the end of the day, he kind of knows the situation that he's in, and he was real about it. You know, when I'm when I'm picked up in free agency, I'm going to come come in here and I'm going to compete my my tail off. Yeah. And he didn't do anything wrong. I mean, honestly, yeah. he had a really really good spring and a really really good training camp to this point. It's just that Anthony Richardson 
can do so many things. He has such a high ceiling. And again, whenever you draft a quarterback in the top five, you know what that means. You know what that means to the, the future success of your franchise. So let's get him on the path to reaching his ceiling in the NFL as quick as possible. And I think it makes a lot of sense timing-wise now because this is like overdrive in terms of training camp because you're going to get practice tonight. You're going to get practice tomorrow, a preseason game. There's going to be a ton of things he's going to see tonight and tomorrow that he's not going to see on Saturday or that he wouldn't see Colts on Colts in practice in training camp. The same thing next week, a joint practice in Philly. The, the preseason game next Thursday in Philly. I don't know if he's going to play in that based on all the time he's going to get. But you get what I'm saying. That's you know, that's four or five opportunities yeah. in the next eight days. So it makes sense now saying hey, you're the guy, you go get all first-team reps so that you don't have to split them up with Gardner Minshew so that you just bank all those experiences going into the regular season. Matt Taylor's with us. I know you scour the uh, depth charts in preparation for the game coming up on Saturday. Um, and you saw Reese Fountain as I did. Yep, yep. Uh, and I remember I was here because you asked me during the break, hey, so how, how many times have you been here in X amount of years? And, you know, there wasn't one practice that would coincide with me being able to be up here and not being by myself the entire right, time. Right. So I wasn't up here a year ago. But one of the times I was up here for this show was just that awful injury that I saw with you know, him out there. And that's one thing I can never get out of my, my head because you're here and you heard it. I mean, you heard it. It's funny you say that because that's exactly what I thought about yeah. today is, you know, the, you know, Joe Wright's keys to the game on the broadcast on Saturday were walk back to the bus. Yes. And for the most part, the that's, Colts did that. That's a great call. Con, you know, concussion-wise, I think it was Saluna, uh, Saguna Luby, excuse me, uh, was really the only major injury to speak of on Saturday. But you're right. Unfortunately, the last couple of years, the Colts have done these joint practices with teams. Reese Fountain. Yeah. Deion Kane. Drew Ogletree, uh, who else am I missing? Paris Campbell. I don't know if that was a joint practice setting or not, but it just seems like whenever the Colts, I mean, yeah, I mean, last year it was Ogletree, uh, to my yeah. point. It's just, and he was having a great camp, and all these guys were having great camps, and then all of a sudden, you know, they get into a, a joint practice situation, adrenaline's running, you want to shine, you want to prove it, you want to continue to take that those steps uh, to, to make the regular season roster against another team, put out some good tape, and then boom, you, know, you slip, or, you know, you have uh, a non-contact you know, ACL or whatever it is. And it's just, that's mm. what I thought about going up to camp tonight. Knock on wood. It's like, hopefully I walk back to my car tonight and I'm not doing a podcast talking yeah. about a major injury. Yeah. You don't want that. I just, I just remember the fountain injury and it's just when you hear it, cause you're that close and you can hear it. Mm -hmm. I just not again, man. I don't want to hear that. There's no doubt about that, but seeing him on the roster and, and probably thinking that he's maybe in the, the final stages of you know trying to make a roster yeah. here, considering where he is in his career. Well, we had Desmond Patman last week. Right. And, you know, he was always a preseason star for the Colts. And in that one moment in Arizona, yes, Glendale, Arizona. Yeah, we God. talked about that on the air last week. And then you got Reese Fountain this week. So, yeah, there's a lot of uh, a lot of, lot of Colts and, and Bears connections, obviously, with the Eberflus, uh, you know, head coach and, uh, you know, Nick Sirianni next week. So, yeah, I mean, there, there's always a lot of a crossover this time of year and you root you root hard i mean i just did an interview actually with uh, sirius xm on the way up here and uh, one of the guys on the show was robert turbin you know he yeah. always a really good dude always yeah. a really good yes. guy so i mean yeah. 
I've, I've been doing this now for 12 years, and you kind of get to know these people, and you know, you you understand who they are off the field, and you know that you know football is just what they do, but they're they're people just like us, and so you root for them, you know, big time, you know, personally and and professionally, and and good to see a guy like Reese Fountain still going, still getting another opportunity, trying to make the the Bears uh, wide receiver core. Yeah, um, should be interesting. You get the first of two, and you got joint practices between the Bears and the Colts happens tonight at 6, tomorrow at 6, and Matt Taylor, voice of the Colts, going to get you hyped. The hype man. Let's go. I don't think it's going to be hard tonight. Everybody here is yeah. going to be jacked. Well, I mean, they got John A., in the background playing right now. So I, you know, that's, that's How some, you even hear that? That's some greatness of the 90s right there. Everybody. Remember Jean A? No, I don't, no, you actually. Don't? No. Hey, Mr. DJ. No. 90s. Look at me. I get, I'm getting the beat right here. I went from 1984. I went to 1984 to Foo Fighters in terms of music. Oh, I love Completely the skipped over the 90s. Love the Foo Fighters. Nope. The, uh, you, you know that a band is great when they come to a point where you get people starting to hate on them because they're great. you got to find a reason. Just like anything else, you got to find reasons to poke holes in their game because everybody talks about them being great, right? I mean, everybody does. Not one person. But now you get somebody out there that has to be unique and organic. Yeah, yeah. And you got to start poking <laughs> holes, you know, into grow. No, well, you no. know, Grohl's really this. And, well, you know what they lost in the drummer. They're not going to get back. And, no. You know, yeah, yeah. you know, Pat Smear is not really – he's all too old. You get that crap. I hate that. It's like people that bagged on ACDC back in the day and, no, and, and criticized him because they were – criticizing them because they were too basic. They didn't play enough chords. Well, guess what? They yep. sold a million albums playing four chords. Everybody hey, else is just jealous. Do you, uh, are you old enough to know the greatness of the former fast food roast beef joint called Rex? I 100% remember Rex. All right. I remember Rex. They had the, the blue and sort of like brownish cups. Wax paper. Yes. Well, well, you know what I'll do? I'm going to wear the shirt up here tomorrow. R-A-X, I got Rex. I got Rex. Yeah. Um, well, they, my, they were Arby's before Arby's, no? Well, they, they put Arby's. Like, Arby's once upon a time was really good. And I guess for some <laughs> sake they're still good. Anyway, Rex was always to me here, right? And Rex is no longer in the state of Indiana. Right. However, in Ohio and some other states, I think Illinois as well. They're still going? Yeah. And uh, Jim Romanak, Romy. Mm-hmm. For two consecutive weeks, has gone to West Virginia and come back and brought me a bag of the bacon, beef, and cheddar. The BBC is what they call it, right? How did he preserve it? Um, I don't, hell, I don't care. He could have left it in the back seat. I would have still eaten it. It wouldn't have mattered. But uh, wow, <laughs> he, could have, wow. he could have put it under wow. the floor mat and wow. I would have eaten it. Um, I don't know about that. But no, 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 no. I would have just taken a hat. I put it. He brought it on Monday. Like, I, I keep the bag. Yeah. Like, racks on the bag, and I keep the bag. But I, I mentioned this because this is something that nobody, and I mean nobody, has poked a hole in at all. I think if somebody had deep enough pockets and wanted a money-making venture, an opportunity, right. you bring in uh, ownership of a racks here in central Indiana. And that's a can't-miss. Can't miss. I don't know, man. I don't know. Because didn't you have the same philosophy of what, what was, what's on what's on the corner of of uh, County Line and 31 down in Greenwood? What is no, that? No, Jack, Jack in the, the box? box? Didn't you have the same? No. See, Jack in the Box. I think I was doing the show with you in 2012, yeah. somewhere in that era. And Jack in yeah. the Box came. And, like, for the first two months, right. it was wrapped around the building about six times. And now you walk or you drive by there. And there's yeah. maybe one car in the drive-thru. Yeah, and I don't, I don't think I ever said – did I say that about Jack in the Box? I, I remember a, a similar sentiment because it was so new and not from here. And Well, 
I thought that I was mean, just it was, about the moment. It was popular as hell for I'm telling probably you. six months. There's got to be somebody listening right now that's got more than a dollar fifty in their pocket. Probably that can get this bad boy going because I think this is can't miss in Central Indiana. See, if I don't you're crack. Open I know I'm going I'm to catch a lot of flack for this. Yeah, I know I am. All right, and I'm braced for it. And social media is going to be on fire here in just a second. <laughs> but wait, like I like Chick Fil A. I think yeah. it's darn good. Yes. I don't understand waiting for it for 45 minutes. Yeah. Because that's what it is. It is. You do I mean, wait. It is. I go in. It's I just go in. It's at least 18 cars deep in the drive-thru. Yeah. And it's good. Don't get me wrong. It's really good. It's just not wait that long in the drive-thru good. Well, here's the thing. If you go to the one at 31 and County Line, yep. the newer one, yep. that's not as lengthy. The one on 135 at Center Grove area is yes. ridiculous. Yes. I mean, you might as and well. And my kids love Chick-fil-A. Yeah. And based on the time of day, I have to nix it because it's, it's just too much. It's not worth it. So would you, you go Chick-fil-A over Zaxby's, Chick-fil-A over Popeye's, yeah. Chick-fil-A over all the other chicks? I, I would put Chick-fil-A over yeah. all of it. It's just, at the end of the day, it's still a chicken sandwich. I'm what, not waiting 45 minutes for a chicken what, what, sandwich. What's the one that I'm trying to think of that's open now in Avon? Um, chicken Place. Like new fast food chick place. It's in Avon right now. Why can't I think? What's that? Raising Canes. Oh, Raising Canes. Thank you, guys. Yeah, Raising Canes. Okay. Have you had that? I've not. It's no. legit. I've never had Oh, that. they slap a bunch of mayo on there, and I yeah. go crazy. There you yeah. go. There you go. I go absolutely crazy. I mean, Chick-fil-A is really good. It's just it, everybody has the same idea, unfortunately. Yeah. I got a couple of uh, BBCs left at home. You want one? I think you picked them up on Saturday or no. Sunday and brought them over on Monday. So there's they're they're four days old now. Oh man, no, they're I, good, I'll, man. I'll let you hey. I'll let you partake. There's those additives and preservatives that make sure. <laughs> are you the that guy, your dining experience? Are you is the guy that rummages through like the office? Uh, I do not do that and eat all the leftovers. But I'm not I'm not afraid of an expiration date, Matt Taylor. I'm not. I'm not afraid of a milk expiration date. No, I'm not afraid no. of an exp- like Blake will pick up something and go. Well, wait a minute. Yeah, no. This uh this will expire in two weeks. I don't think I. Can and have this. <laughs> I said, hey, man, I just paid like $10 for it. I've had milk three yeah. days after the day. I think you're all right. You're no, okay. I never have looked. I just go, hey. If it's not curdling, I think you're going to eat it. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. But so, no. No, I'm good on the the inter, interstate uh, four-day-old roast beef sandwich. Like somebody just said, how do you do Blake that way with imitating his voice like that? Yeah, that didn't sound like Blake. Hey, wait a minute. I think two weeks this is going to expire. I can't have this. <laughs> He's probably in the car right now. Well, of course, they're not oh. listening. They're probably listening to Justin Timberlake right now. I haven't got anything yet on social media, so maybe people out there agree with me on my right. Chick-fil-A take. At JMV1070, at uh, Maytay May Colts. At Maytay Colts. Yeah, blow me up. Blow up Matt Taylor's opinion on Chick-fil-A, that it's way too damn long of a wait, even if it's really you good. view it as efficiently. I like it. It's really, really That is good. the most efficiently viewed 45-minute wait in the history of 45-minute waits. Pro- it is. Probably. Yeah. Probably. It is. Yeah. You, see that, fir- you see that nerd I pointed to on my ear, too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I'm with you. Hey, listen, we're on the same page. Okay. I got you. Hey, I, wait a minute. I got you. Are you being unique wait or organic? Yep. I can't tell. Call a consultant now. <laughs> All right, brother. All right. Hey, have at it. Hype this crowd up here. We'll have some fun, Get everybody man. fired up. It's good to see you as always. Good to see you, too. You got it, man. Oh, we'll shake. Oh, wait, hey. oh, wait, wait, wait. Hold on a second. What are we doing? What are we doing? Let me go ahead and do this. Hey, hey, hey. Uh, uh, there yeah. we go. All right. The gentleman's handshake uh, right there. You have a really good handshake. Landon showed the awkwardness of that Come on right now. there. All right, buddy. Appreciate you. You got it, man. So Matt Taylor right there, voice of the Colts. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Andy Moore Automotive Group Pipeline. He covers the Boilermakers from top to bottom. Also, the renovations going on at Ross Aid. Friend of this show is Tom Deanhart, again from Golden Black Illustrated on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Pipeline. Where are we with the renovations right now on the turf? Are we there yet at Ross Aid? It's coming along. There's a lot of angst, John. A lot of angst. Social media angst. Just angst walking down Grand Street here in Northwestern. Is the stadium going to be done? And I've been assured by Bobinski and the other powers that be over there at, uh, along their, their offices that it's going to be ready. Yeah, they're putting, they're putting the sod in. Uh, now, there may be a few details that aren't buttoned up, but it, it's going to be functional and, and able to, 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 to handle all the fans on September 2nd when Fresno State rolls in here. So, so there's some worry that some of it may not be finished, may not be complete? I'm talking about dotting your I's and crossing your T's stuff. More like uh, uh, the right type of doorknobs on things, you know, just sort of finishing <laughs> items. Uh, that, that, that's kind of how it's described to me, you know. The, everything else as far as functioning for fans is going to be ready to go. So, and again, the, the Tiller Tunnel, it's, it's going to be functional, obviously, too, but it's going to be officially dedicated September 30th, Purdue's homecoming game against Illinois. Arnett Tiller will be back. A lot of her family will be back the Tiller family, and then I think Sean Phillips will be the, the honorary captain that weekend. So that'll be a funny weekend to see that tunnel officially dedicated. Yeah, that will, too. I like it. Well, there may not be a doorknob here, but we're almost there. I love that. <laughs> yeah, like I said, uh, I walked by once in a while, and you know, people kept seeing the cranes up. It looked like there was still a lot of work to be done. They would, they would send some still photos out. Right. But, um, yeah, I guess I'm a construction expert, but I guess I can become one if I Google enough things and make those assessments, right? Hey, Tommy D., it's funny what type of so-called expert we all have to become. Like, if you would have told me, hey, I want to do sports talk, that's great, and then I would have to know all this stuff uh, related to contracts and lawyer speak and doctor talk and all that, I thought, man, I don't know about this. I mean, who would have thought we had to know all this junk? And, you know, you and West Lafayette, you got to know what's going on with contractors. Well done. You're right. Hey, hey, you guys got joint practices, Colts, Bears, right? Right. Did I, did I ever tell you in 1986 I was an intern with the Colts at training camp? 1986, Colts training camp, which was then in Anderson, right? Yeah, in Anderson, Indiana. You know who the head coach was in 86? Uh, 80. Uh, was that a year after Frank Cush? Was that? Yeah, that uh, Frank Cush. He didn't last that long. Yeah. Rod Dowd. Wow. Rod Dowhower, yes. I was trying to think who was that. In the, yeah, Rod Dowhower's, yeah, after Frank Cush. Rod Dowhower. So did you guys develop a strong relationship back then? Well, you know, Craig Kelly was one of the PR guys, and that, that, that's yeah. what I worked for there. And he, he's a fun – we had a lot of fun. The first, the first round pick that year was Big John Hamp from Alabama, I remember. And Gary Hogeman was their quarterback, if you can believe that. Blair Keel was in camp, I remember. Um, just a lot of fun memories. That team, John, started 0-13. They yeah. fired Dowhower, and then they hired Ron Meyer and won their last two yes. games. And there you go, buddy. Well, and they and they were running the option too, right? That was a Rick. Was that the Ricky Turner year, too? I can't remember if it was or not. Where they were at late in the year, but you know, hiring you know, Meyer, Meyer was supposed to be the Purdue head coach, and, and, and the Colts kind of snatched him away from Purdue. 
if he was going to come back and coach his alma mater here, Purdue had to pivot and hire Fred Akers. Jeff George transfers to Illinois. And just, just think of the chain of events that got set up by that. And then to wrap it all up, Jeff George owns this Dairy Queen right down the road from where I sit right now. That is so wild right there, though. I, when you think about it, they started 0-13. Yeah, and I tell people this all the time. Like, I, I get all these, these whiny dudes that are very younger generation that are saying, oh, you know, this and that, and I've lived through this and this. I'm thinking, you can live through nothing, all right? You didn't go through. If, if you've been here since 84 and you know, you know exactly the, the bad times. And that was one of the bad times. And I always bring up the fact that you know some of the most notable stuff going on because there was no tailgating going on there was very little interest i mean yeah. you would get you know people would just come to the game 5 minutes before it kicked back then it would kick at noon at the Hoosier Dome and women would do their knitting and and dudes would come in their penny loafers and their slacks from church, and there'd be very little excitement whatsoever. The most excitement was Bob and Tom and uh, Duke Tomato coming out with the songs No Trim Until the Colts Win, right? Remember, I think that year is when Bob and Tom were advocates of abstaining. No sex until the Colts won. So that was a long fall for a lot of Colts fans in 86. Probably still some fans going through therapy over that since 12-step programs, but yeah, I mean, I can still. Now let's uh, face it. Some of the, so, face it. Some of those guys look in the mirror and they weren't going to have it anyway. But <laughs> others were. All yeah. right, others were. <laughs> that was. I mean, again, that, and then of course the next year is when they did that big Eric Dickerson trade on Halloween, and then that really skyrocketed the uh, the team. And get this too, one of the coaches on that '86 team is Rick Venturi. Yeah. We still and we still stay in touch. That guy is the biggest warhorse. It's a bad analogy. It's so much fun talking to Rick. I know as you do often. I, I do. We sat. I sat in my driveway on on uh, when was it Friday? I think is when they took off for Buffalo, and we just we talk about a lot of things all the time. I like I I you first of all he's my friend and I I, I really I covet our our friendship. Yep. But I'll give you a great example when we were at the combine. Um, like Chris Ballard met with the local media 10 minutes before he came on the show with me when I was at the combine back in February. And I thought, man, I, I don't want to end up asking the same damn questions that everybody else is asking right now. So I call Rick and I said, hey, man, you tell me what you would want to hear ask. You know, being as long as you've been in it, understanding being a part of it, you tell me what you would want to hear me ask. And he helped me out with, with Ballard talking to him with some of the greatest questions that I would have never thought of. I mean, he, he is absolute gold for me, absolute gold. Yeah, a lot of times when you, when you have him on, I listen to him, and he goes on and on. But, yeah, just a sm- obviously a Northwestern grad, a smart guy, and, and uh, just a friendly guy. And like you said, that yeah. NFL, that football knowledge is, is, is almost unparalleled. Yeah, he'll be here coming up in just a little bit, too, by the way. Tom Deanhart of Golden Black Illustrated is with us. Um, all right, you got a defensive guy as the head coach, um, but we more kind of zone in. I know we did last time on the, the offensive coordinator 
Graham Harrell in year number one at Purdue. And I remember talking with him when he was the OC at USC. We were talking about Michael Pittman Jr. We were talking about that offense when the Colts drafted Michael Pittman Jr. Um, he is an up-tempo, high-volume type of guy. How is that going to coincide with more of a defensive, philosophical first-year head coach in West Lafayette, Tommy D.? It's going to be interesting, right? Because remember, Walters obviously was at Illinois last year, and that, that offense was not high octane, up tempo. It was more of a, you know, Brett Bielema likes to punch you in the yeah. nose, more of a physical ground game. So there, I don't think there were a lot of three and outs. A lot of times, offenses like this at Purdue, the tempos, they, they go quick, and you're three and out, the defense is back on the field. So it's going to be a little bit different dynamic, I think, for this defense to try to adjust to. So, you know what, John, the, the questions just kind of roll out of my mind as far as what's going to happen here. I, I have no absolutely absolute idea idea you know what, what direction this is going to go. Um, for me, September is a huge month. Obviously, that opening against Fresno I referenced. Purdue's got four or five games in Ross State Stadium. They got to win. Got to go three and two in, in September, I think. So, and again, the offense. Back to your initial question: the straw that stirs the drink. Hudson Carr. He's going to have to be an unabashed star if this team wants to reach the postseason. Is that your expectation? I mean, it it sounds like a lot, right? Yeah. And I'll say from expectations of Purdue fans and what is necessary for this to be a really good season, you know, backing up what took place a year ago, losing your head coach. I mean, first, I'm assuming – if you're a new head coach, you've got to bring in somebody that's going to go incredibly up-tempo considering the way that Purdue has basically played around there forever. So I thought that that would be necessary, and I think that's a great hire. But that high-octane style of play, do they have the personnel, including Hudson Card, to be able to back that up? Yeah, and I asked Graham once if they were going to go no huddle all the time, and he, he said no, they were going to huddle up on occasion. But they're going to try to keep the defenses off – you know, off, off step, off kilter with, with the tempo that they go with. And, um, yeah, you know, Graham's, Graham's got an interesting resume, and uh, he's got some weapons to work with here. And uh, we'll see if he can pull it off. Uh, I don't know if there's a real go-to wide receiver right now. I don't, I don't think there's another Charlie Jones on the roster, but I think they have capable weapons. The big key on this offense, John, is really going to get that offensive line in gear because they brought in six transfers this year. They're already dealing with some injury. So that front's going to have to come together. And again, real quick, John, if you go back to a couple months, Las Vegas came out with their over-under win totals for every team. Purdue was at five and a half. And that, that, to me, that sounds about right. To me, this is probably a five and seven, six and six, or seven and five team. What's up? Tom Deanhart, Golden Black, illustrated on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Will people be satisfied with that in West Lafayette? I think so, and I know maybe that sounds funny coming off of going to a Big Ten championship game, but I just think people have to they, – they do realize, at least I hope they do, that the attrition that's taking place here, I think there's upwards of 35 new players. And you go portal freshman, uh, new staff, new schemes on both sides of the ball. And plus, on top of all that, the schedule, um, I think it's probably one of the more difficult ones in the Big Ten. Um, you got Ohio State and Michigan on your to-do list, right? And you've got a pretty salty non-conference schedule with the trip to Virginia Tech, and then you got Wisconsin and Iowa. So uh, they got their work cut out for them. And uh, like I said, I, 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 that, that just complicates everything for them. I think that schedule. It's, uh, Tom Deanhart with us. I want to talk about the kid from Southern Indiana. Boonville High School that just you know, had such an incredible introduction a year ago. Is he capable? Like, like he is 
really proven so much so far that most I would suggest felt that he didn't have you would never see I think everybody's you know pleasantly surprised about what he has done production wise is he capable of raising the bar on what we've seen I mean when does he hit the ceiling did I tell you I went to Boomville this summer uh, Boonville's shout out to Boonville right there, man. That's hey, that's legendary Warwick County in southern Indiana right there, Tommy D. Hugging the hugging the Ohio River. I went down there to a big story with Devin. The university just published it. I think it's on the university website. A lot of fun hanging out with him. He's a big car nut, John, a big drag racer. Just a great yeah. kid, a cool family. And you know what? You know, he almost had a thousand yards last year. I think, you know, I think he's capable of a 1,000, but I'm not sure if he's going to be used that much. I think, you know, they've got two other capable backs. One of them is an Indianapolis kid, Tyrone Tracy, uh, from Decatur Central. He, he's moved from receiver to running back. They like him a lot. They have another kid named Dylan Downing, a Carmel kid. So, I, you yeah. know, if you look at I think, John, if you, if you stood next to Devin Mockaby, there is physically nothing remarkable about this guy at all. I mean, the muscles don't bulge. The neck isn't thick. Uh, I just don't know if he's a 250, 300 carry a year guy. I think they're going to want to spread it out between those three backs, and they also want to throw the ball to Devin too. He'll be effective. I'm not so sure if he's ever going to real gaudy numbers though. Well, I mean, and now the backfield receiving, I would think with with Graham Harrell and his offense, that is going to be essential. Is he? Yeah. He capable of holding up that end of the bargain? Yeah, he caught about 30 passes last year, so they're going to get him out in space, throw it to him. He just has a knack. It's something you can't put your, your finger on. Uh, he has that somewhat to, to twist and contort, a high high knee style. Uh, never say never. Or I'm going to die hard style, and um, just 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 a real feel for the game. And um, like I said, uh, he's not going to wear in shorts and a t-shirt at the combine. But you put the pads on, give him the ball, and somehow somewhere he gets it done. So, Tom Deanhart, Golden Black Illustrated, is with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Hey, Tommy D, oftentimes you have a defensive-angled head coach, and what is supposed to be their forte is not the most productive portion of their team. And I, I think, obviously, you're going to see that this year um, between offense and defense with this team. I mean, you know, new head coach is defensive-oriented, but the offense certainly should be much better than what you expect out of the defense. I guess, in tune, what do you expect out of the defense? How far do they have to go to be to where this team is going to need them, especially in support of what we expect out of this offense? Um. I guess I'll believe it when I see it, being a, a lifelong guy who's seen a lot of Purdue football. There hasn't yeah. been a lot of steel curtain defenses in West Lafayette. You know, Brock Spack had some in 2002, 2003. With all those draft choices, you know, Gilbert Gardner and, 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 and you know, Stuart Schweiger, a lot of pros. And then before that, you probably have to go back to actually the Leon Burtonette and those jump defenses. So I, I think they've upgraded the roster personnel-wise. I still think Purdue's going to be a place where you have to probably win games 31 to 28, more so than 17 to 14. Maybe Walters will change that. Like you said, this is his, uh, his this is his style of ball, his defense. And and again, back to Leon Burtonette, John. That is the last time Purdue had hired a head coach who came from the offensive side of the ball. To give you some perspective, how long ago it was Leon Burtonette was promoted from Jim Young's staff to the head coaching position. So, again, Purdue zigged when everybody else thought they'd zag when they went with a guy from the defensive side of the ball. And on top of that, the guy who's never been a head coach. Well, and and let's – I mean, it, it would take a lot 
in this case, because, I mean, you, you see what Joe Tiller accomplished there, and I'm assuming every every single time Boilermaker fans thought, well, we got to go with a, an offensive angle, an offensive philosophical type of coach here. And, and I think people up there need to keep in mind that even with that in mind, they had some clunkers. I mean, they, they hired some clunkers there with that opinion. Yeah, and they've um... – it's, it, it, it's, a, it's a hard job. You know, Tiller captured, captured some magic for a 12-year period. Danny Hope, Daryl Hazel, failures. And then now I, I think history is going to look back pretty fondly on the Jeff Brom era. Yeah. Um, um, I think what he did here is going to be appreciated more and more as time goes on. A pretty good, pretty sharp offensive mind. Really had the better better talent on his sideline most Saturdays. So it's tough. But, you know, Ryan Walters is a very energetic guy. He's a different vibe around this team. I think they're seeing some some results in recruiting so far. Uh, they've got some nice commits in the 24 class. They just got a 25 quarterback yesterday. So I think they hope some dividends are paid there by, by his magnetic personnel and this young staff really connecting with kids and trying to upgrade this roster. All right. Tommy D, make sure they have all that crap done up there, buddy. I mean, screw those doorknobs <laughs> in. Hey, there's, always a, there's always a seat up there in the press box right next to me for you. <laughs> just hey, just make sure the toilet's flush, okay? That's all that matters. Seriously. Hey, I paid That's for all it. That are you kidding me? Yeah, pretty was gonna work. You know that. Come on. You got all those small bladders coming in there from the hill going to those games at Ross Aid. You gotta make sure the toilet's flush up there. All right, make sure. <laughs> Buddy, it's good to hear from you as always. We'll stay in touch about this. Thank you, my friend. Be good. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Andy Moore, Automotive Group Hotline. He's been a part of a, a Colts camp. The uh, former tight end of the Colts and just does a great job on Sirius XM and, and other avenues doing college football year after year. Our good friend Charles Arbuckle joins us. Hello, Charles. How are you? I'm good, man. I'm waiting for that invite to come play in those golf tournaments and everything else y'all have out there. Y'all got all kind of stuff now. Back in the day, I had to beg to get on it. I can't get on it now. <laughs> <laughs> Hey man, I remember the good old I remember the good old days you and Mark Patrick doing the Indiana Firebirds inside mm. the then what we called it the Conseco Fieldhouse. Remember those days, Charles? Oh, I love I, hey, that Firebirds time was awesome. I mean, they, you know, it was uh I still run into some of those guys occasionally and when you do, you just those were great times. It, it great to broadcast the games. The games were fast, they were furious and you know, a few of those guys ended up getting to the league for a cups of coffee and some longer than some of the coaches out of there. So no, that was that was great, man. I enjoyed it. And look at uh, Will Touch. McClay, who was, uh, you know, Will McClay and I. Funny story. We went. We played Pop Warner football together. He went to the Dallas Desperados. He played in the league and he became a coach. And now he's basically the GM for the uh, Dallas Cowboys. Even though Jerry and Steven tried to take all the credit. Will McClay, who I've known since we were seven or eight years old, is the GM there. So <laughs> that's the kind of people that came out of the Arena Football League. <laughs> well, I mean, you think about it in terms of touchdown Eddie Brown. If What if I would have told you that his son would have been, at one point, the best wide receiver by a long shot in the NFL and then would be where he is right now? You would have thought, what? 
Yeah, JMV is crazy because I, I covered uh, Antonio when he was a little bit smaller and no and smaller in who people knew him. But at Central Michigan, he he was a, a outstanding player. And then when he got to the league, I kept telling people, this kid is going to be somebody out to watch because he makes plays every time he touches the ball. And sure enough, before all the other stuff and the off the field stuff got got to him, he was one of the best wide receivers in the league. Yeah, didn't no doubt about that. Your quarterback back then was Raymond Filiaw, I believe, correct? Uh, Filiaw, yeah, he was, you know, uh, he, he, you know, he reminded me of the Arena Football League version of Russell Westbrook. Undersized, yeah. but Raymond had big hands, and I'd play catch with him sometimes, and you could just tell, long levers. But he, he could throw from all angles, which he had to do there, and he wasn't the guy that they wanted to start at first. And then once he got going – they couldn't beat, and that team, what I hated is they could not beat the Grand Rapids Rampage, who had yeah. Clint Dolezal. Remember Clint Dolezal? Would, I mean, it would be eight yep. touchdowns for him, seven yep. for Raymond Filia. Oh, those were those good days, man. I loved it. They were. The old school arena days with the Indiana Firebirds. It's Charles Arbuckle via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Pipeline. Before we get started on your outlook to start this college football season, you know, we've talked about your alma mater UCLA and USC going to the Big Ten that's old news but we have yet to talk about these now new admissions into the Big Ten and and basically what we have seen with the remaining what four teams and the dissolvement of what has been the Pac-12 what's your thoughts on that the teams that are going to the Big Ten and then the leftovers that somehow some way going to either have to be put somewhere else or put back together again your thoughts on the latest movement as far as yeah. a conference that you you know very well. Well, I think Tammy, if we think about it, I've had you've been you've had me on the show before, and even when UCLA and USC broke, I said they have to have a northwestern, a Pacific Northwestern uh, contingent to go with them. Right? Yeah. Um, Lewis and Clark went that way. They needed now two more teams to go back east. And I always thought it was Washington and Oregon. I mean, for a while, we thought that was going to happen each year. And now, finally, I think Washington and Oregon were able to jump the shark. And the Big Ten, not wanting to add more, were kind of forced by the TV contract. TV revenue runs everything now. And I'll say this, 108 years of tradition. I love playing out in the Pac-10. I can remember when Warren Moon was playing, when a lot of black quarterbacks couldn't play in the South. They would go to the Pac-12 or Pac-8 or Pac-10 or the Big Ten and be able to play. Tony Dungy was a quarterback at at Minnesota. So, you you know, you you think about from an African-American perspective, those were conferences that I looked at, even though I grew up in the the Southwest Conference footprint of Texas and, and Louisiana and some of the other things. But I think the big thing for me is the, the business model changed rapidly and they were never able to keep up. Larry Scott kept talking about this great deal he had because he controlled control all the rights to the TV revenue. But it was, what did he own? He didn't own anything. It was no gold, it was fool's gold. And then George Klyovkov comes in and says, hey, I can get a deal and I may be able to pay you 23 million or 30 million, I'm not sure. Those schools, Washington and Oregon, knew that they could make the money and whether it was going to be funded by TV folks or whether it was going to be funded by the conference, it doesn't really matter. They know they're going to get more money and now they'll be in a conference and they'll still be aligned with four former Pac-8, Pac-10, Pac-12 schools. That was always going to happen. We just didn't know which ones. My concern and my, my point that I hate for this is that this year in the Pac-12, 
it's going to be some really damn good football, but we're not going to be thinking about that because you're thinking now USC, UCLA moving. They're going to be yeah. both be better. I think USC, if they have a defense, they have a chance to be pretty successful. Utah, going to knock your teeth in the dirt. Oregon State, don't sleep on Oregon State. Jonathan Smith has a team up there, and a lot of people across the country don't know, but you'll see them early. And then I think you just, you, you know, you start looking around the landscape of that league. Oregon will have a quarterback coming back. Michael Penix, who you guys have all seen from IU yep. days. Now he's healthy. If they can get past a couple of things, they're gonna, it's going to be competitive in the Pac-12. But we won't talk about that because we know now it's a, the dissolution of a conference that's been around since, you know, 108 years. So Charles Arbuckle with us. Let's stay there for a moment because I thought you got us off to a good start. Um, First things first, Caleb Williams, but I want to leave that because you mentioned Michael Penix, and that's a name that certainly Hoosier fans know a great deal of around here. Any type of competition at that position um, in college football is going to be difficult with the reigning Heisman Trophy winner at USC and Caleb Williams, but how good in comparison numbers-wise do you expect Penix to be with that Washington Huskies team this year? Kalen DeBoer is the man, and Washington's got some weapons on the outside. UW, the Huskies always play really good defense. They just had a couple of games where they, especially the UCLA game, there were a couple of other games that I watched Michael Penix. He struggled, and he just couldn't get it back together. And I think it was back-to-back weeks. Remember, they lost. The, they, they were undefeated going into the UCLA game. They were 4-0. Lost at UCLA, lost at Arizona State. They didn't lose another game after that. They were 11-2 and two on the season. So I think there's a lot of talk about USC and Caleb Williams. But I'm going to tell you all, if Michael Penix can stay healthy, Kalen DeBoer does his thing. That running back position really helps him out because I think that's the one thing I don't want to see Penix get into, where he has to be the main ball carrier, where he has to be the guy to do most of those things. And I think their running back crew is supposed to be pretty good this year. But that's the concern for me. If he can stay healthy and stay out of harm's way, you're going to have a team up there. And they got two of their leading rushers coming back. So I think that's the part that you got to look at at Washington, how they, how they stack up. Because they start off with Boise, Tulsa, at Michigan State, and then Cal. We're going to know pretty, pretty early in the season what kind of team that they have there with Kalen DeBoer and that Michael Penix-led offense. All right, USC with, with Caleb Williams. Uh, you're going to defend, obviously, the honor of the Heisman Trophy. And it, this is a good point. I was talking to Phil Steele a couple of weeks ago, and he brought this up. And I'm going to ask you your opinion on this. W- what will give Caleb Williams more competition? Those around him in the landscape of college football, other quarterbacks, you know, other skill position players, or – Caleb Williams and winning the Heisman a year ago. What's going to be his toughest competition? Winning the Heisman a year ago, I, I think. I mean, I, I think that's the thing that Archie Griffin is the last person to ever have done that, right? I don't. It's been a tough thing to do. Caleb Williams is ultra talented. I think winning it before, but also how good his defense is, because we won't really know how good the USC's defense is after San Jose State and Nevada. Maybe not even Stanford. So early on, USC could be an easy 5-0. and They go at Arizona State and then at Colorado. And, I, I mean, as much as people are loving Dion and, you know, they're, they're all a rage, USC should be 5-0 and from what I just read. Should be. 
But the problem for them over the last couple of years has been their defense. And I don't trust their defense. And until I see it, I know they've got some new guys in. They've got some different folks that should be better defensively. i got to see it play out. And if it gels and Alex Grinch is able to get some thumpers on the inside, because that was the thing. When you wanted to run the ball, Oregon State last year, at the end of the game against Oregon, decided to run the ball and beat the crap out of Oregon. USC couldn't do that. They couldn't line up and knock you off the ball, which shocked the mess out of me. And they couldn't stop the run at certain times. And I think that's the part that you could see play out when they play Utah or when they play those teams in the trenches. They lost to Utah twice. Utah is not going to change who they are. Kyle and those guys are going to say, we're going to line up. When you know what we're doing, stop it. And so that's the thing with USC. They were 11-3, and and then they didn't have a good performance against Tulane. You can say, oh, well, it was Tulane. They got their butts kicked in that game as well. So their last two outings have been porous defense, and now defense is knowing if we can just get one or two stops, we have a chance. So I think that's an uphill battle for Caleb. If they're better defensively, that gives him a chance to be in the Heisman Trophy race for a while. But they have to be, if they want to be on the national championship level, they have to have a better defense. Charles Arbuckle talks college football and more. The former Colts tied in with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I mean, he got all that stuff swirling around Jim Harbaugh, and he's doing the, you know, his great impression of himself here and acting like none of that crap matters one ounce to him. Uh, Second-ranked Michigan to start the season in the AP poll. Ohio State comes in next at number three. Um, yeah, certainly – Trying to replace, um, not a lot, replacement wise for Michigan is going to be easier just because of the quarterback situation at Ohio State. But let's start right there. It seems like now you're going to have more of a quarterback benefit from what this quarterback's going to have around him, considering Marvin Harrison Jr. and the like. Um, what do you like at the start of the season better at the top of the Big Ten? Michigan, Ohio State, and both sides of the football. How do these two teams compete with one another? Yeah, I think Michigan is, is, is poised to be really good this year, even with all the stuff that's going on around Jim Harbaugh. I mean, I, I really do. Marvin Harrison Jr., though, it, it, it's interesting. Can Ryan Day now find a way to turn this thing around after two straight years of losing to Michigan? And I think that's the part. You know, they're 11-2 and two last year. They were 11-2 and two the year before with their last, you know, Big Ten game losing. So I think there's some there's some pro, there's some issues there in Ohio State. Can they come back? I heard their, their their defensive line is supposed to be back to form, and I think if they have that, that gives them a chance. But Michigan, what I like about Michigan when you watch them on tape, Jim has a little bit of the old school physicality that he he, he grew up with, but he also has some of that. We can spread you out and we can get the ball down the field. And I think that's the thing they want to do. And I don't think they're as concerned. I think they will be uh, able to to play you both ways, right? But I think now that they've been to the college football playoff, they have to now figure out how to get how to win one of those. You can beat Ohio State two years in a row, but then you can't go and not give a good account of yourself in the college football playoff. And that's what's interesting with all this noise that's around them. Does he take? Does he get any games off? And then if, if they get through the season and they decide to punish him, he's been in job search the last two years for the NFL job opening. It hasn't stopped that team from playing well because he has a really good coaching staff, and I think they understand how to play. So on paper, 
before injuries and all those other things. I think Michigan is the top dog right now. Penn State has a quarterback in Drew Aller. I saw Drew Aller when he was in high school. He's going to be a difference maker for Penn State. But Penn State always seems to play poor against Michigan, play well against Ohio State, and sometimes against both. So until until I can see them actually get over that hump, I think Michigan is the team to beat in the Big Ten, and I think everybody knows it now, even with Jim Harbaugh doing all the stuff that he said he didn't do, which he shouldn't have done at COVID time. And, and we know, you know, you're going to push the line and Jim's going to do everything he can to get a competitive advantage, and hopefully it doesn't hurt him or his team. Charles Arbuckle's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I was going to ask you how far, how far off the pace of Michigan and Ohio State in the Big Ten do you expect Penn State to be? I don't. I don't think they'll be far off. I really don't. I, I. I do think this quarterback that they have is probably one of the better ones they've had in a while. If he can stay healthy and is as good as what I saw as a as a high school kid going to college, and from what I'm hearing, but you just never know until the, the live bullets happen, and until it happens against these teams where you may get punched in the mouth, you're 0 for 5, how do you turn that around? And so that's going to be interesting, but I I think Penn State's going to be really good, and I think James Franklin has a team that if things go in their favor, they could be right there in the mix. They're they're at Ohio State, they got Michigan at home. Those are the good things, and they don't play either one of them until a little bit later, starting in October and then November. So they could start that schedule off pretty strong with teams like West Virginia, who they should beat, Delaware, at Illinois, Iowa, and then at Northwestern. I think Iowa's going to be sneaky good this year. But Northwestern, with all the things that are going on there, and they weren't good last year, I don't think they're going to improve much. Maybe they'll play hard for Pat one or two games. I just think Penn State is set up for a nice run late in the year, but can they do it in October and November? And that's going to be crucial for them. Is uh, Luke Fickle's Wisconsin Badgers going to be at all reminiscent of the Wisconsin Badgers that we've been so used to? They're going to punch you in the mouth now. They, they will punch you in the mouth, and I'll say this. They've got an offensive coordinator who can throw that dang ball now. <laughs> you, better, you better be able to play against them offensively. Does he have the weapons there? That's the part I don't know. But I, I, I do think Tanner Mordecai, if he's a starter, should really benefit – from a new offensive system and moving away from just the physical pound and ground to having some spread offense and being able to do some different things from that perspective. So Luke, Luke is going to have them playing well on, on defense. Mordecai, can he come in and show some of the things that he was able to do at SMU? That's going to be interesting. It's going to be intriguing to watch because you've got, you got these the way they've been structured and built for so many years, can they move away from it? Can they move away from it quickly? I don't know, but I do know they're gonna they're gonna be a tough out, and they're gonna be able to throw throw the football, and they're gonna be able to score. Uh, yeah, obviously, Brett Bielema uh, had a breakthrough with Illinois a year ago. Um, no doubt about that. We'll see how year number two goes for him in Champaign. However, they do lose their uh, defensive coordinator, who is the new head coach of Purdue, and Ryan Walters. And an interesting dynamic, because you and I have talked about this before. Graham Harrell is the OC. Graham Harrell, as we had a conversation about him prior, was at USC whenever Michael Pittman Jr. was there. We had a conversation about that. Graham Harrell and his offensive philosophy to go along with a defensive minded first-year head coach in Purdue. How do you think that, along with Hudson Card, the first-year quarterback from Texas in West Lafayette, how do you think that is going to work with this Boilermaker squad? 
I think it gets them back to how they used to be, right? When they were the Joe Tiller era, where they played good defense, always got those kids that were long and athletic on defense, but also had the ability to score, whether it was Breeze or some of the other quarterbacks that came through there. And I really do think that's what Purdue, when Purdue is at its best, they can spread you out, they can be physical, and they can play ball. And, you know, Brom, I think, has recruited the right kind of players here are they going to be able to really get with Graham's offense? Because I, I think he's a really nice offensive play caller. And he, he doesn't run a spread that's just spread open. It's, it's physical. Just like Phil Longo. Phil Longo wants to run the ball at, like at Wisconsin to set up his, his play-action pass, his RPOs. And I think Graham Harrell is going to be the same way. He's learned the air raid from Mike Leach, but he's also learned some different principles. And I, I do think that's a good match for Purdue to have a coach like that to come in because you already have been doing some of those things under Brom. You're not making that big of a change, but I think what it does is it allows you now to figure out how to consistently do it and make plays over the course of the time. And just the problem for them is they're in a, a, a conference that plays pretty well. And look, look who they have the first game, Fresno State. Fresno State is tough. Those boys always gave us problems. I still have shoulder injuries from when I played Fresno State back in my sophomore year at UCLA. They hit you. They come from the, you know, Pat Hill. Uh, they just they just like the they're, – they're like a mini version of Utah on the West Coast at Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech's going to be a lot better. Then you have Syracuse, Wisconsin, Illinois. So they – I think it's going to be more their schedule. If they start off slow – but are looking good, can we give them credit for that? That's what we're going to probably have to look at. Their defense is going to be good, but offensively, are they going to mesh right away with the new offensive play caller? Hey, before I let you go to uh, Notre Dame, uh, oftentimes people ask me and want me to get your thoughts on the Fighting Irish. How, how much are we raising the bar in South Bend on their squad at the beginning of the year? Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure. Um, I know there's there's been a few deflections. Notre Dame always seems to recruit pretty well. Um, I, I, I don't know about Notre Dame this year. That's one team that I got to see play because I, I I just say, you know, we give Notre Dame all the credit for being an independent, but are they going to be able to play and be competitive as that independent? I can't tell you. I won't be able to tell you until I see them the first game of the season. Now, I'm hearing some really good things about them. But as a, from my mindset, how good are they going to be, JMB? I have no idea. <laughs> it's, it's, hard, it's hard for me because I've even gone back and watched film on them this year in the off season, and I'm just still saying, okay, I got to see the, I got to see improvement at a couple key spots, and I need to see some athletes on the outside, which I haven't seen there for a few years, and that's the thing that bothers me. If I'm a Notre Dame fan, but also if I'm Notre Dame itself, can we get guys that can make plays? And I know they've got some transfer guys that have come in and they're supposed to have some new weapons, but that's the one thing about them that I want to see, those skilled position guys that can make plays on the outside. They've had great tight ends, but they haven't had playmakers on the outside, and that's hurt them in big games with teams that can match up against you and can match your physicality uh, with athletes on the outside. Uh, you know, I, I think that they have a schedule, obviously, with Ohio State on it too, uh, mm-hmm. which they host. They, they've got a schedule 
Charles, that's conducive of doing some work here? Because, I mean, you've yeah. got some heavy hitters. I mean, USC's on it as well. They host them, mm-hmm. you know, go on the road against against Clemson. But this is a schedule that's conducive, I think, to doing some work. And I think that's what's expected. It always is from that fan yeah. base. But even more so, if you look at the start of the season schedule, it should be here. Yeah, and, and I mean, I think that's the problem. We always just say, oh, Notre Dame's going to be good, right? But yeah. we also have to look at, you know, who – if they have the skill weapons that they keep touting to have, then I give them a lot of credit. If they don't, then we're talking about the same thing we've talked over the last few years, nine, maybe ten wins. I think you're right. Their schedule does allow them to start fast, but how are they going to finish? And and that's the thing I'm, I'm really anxious to see because there's a team that has – played a big role in all of this conference realignment and adjustment and they just keep sitting back counting that money saying hey all these things happen because we're Notre Dame and it pisses people off but it's a great place yeah. to be if you're Notre Dame right <laughs> no doubt about that well I mean it depends with Marcus Freeman it, it, great place to be if, yeah. if the expectations are met it, it may be a, a bit of a hassle for you so and I, well, I think well, this, said, this is a big year for them with expectations yeah. Yeah, my concern, though, you said they're scheduled. Navy, they should be. Tennessee State, of course. At North Carolina State, that's a tricky game. Because NC State, they've lost some folks on defense, but they're going to be better defensively. And I think better off. They, they say they'll be better offensively. That's a good challenge for them. But then that Central Michigan-Ohio State game between uh, the, those two games. So I agree with you. They should start fast, right? And if they beat NC State, that sets them up for a 4-0 record, basically, before they play Ohio State. Duke is going to be sneaky good. I think people should should really watch out for Duke. I don't think they'll beat Notre Dame, but I think that's another catch game because it's at Duke. But to your point, they could be in a position where they're heading down the stretch with those two uh, buys sandwiched around Pittsburgh and Clemson playing for some meaningful games at the end of the season. Charles Arbuckle with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. We will check in periodically over the course of the season. You know that because we love your your insight. And uh, we'll try to get you hooked up with some stuff back here sometime. I mean, any reason to get you back. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, well, and one other thing with Notre Dame, I'm a big Sam yep. Hartman fan. I hate, I hate that he went, left Wake Forest, but I do think – yeah, that's the one key factor that they haven't had. Hopefully, he has guys on the outside to throw to, which they say they have some weapons now. So you, you might be right. You might be right. <laughs> well, and, and and to speak to where you are, and 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 people that may not know this, Charles is staked out in Charlotte, North Carolina. So yeah. anywhere within you know the ACC, we're talking about right now. Whether we're talking about NC State, which he's brought up, we await Forest now. You know, obviously the season that they're looking for in North Carolina, in Clemson, and and. In that general vicinity, man, he is on top of absolutely everything. But I think you bring up some really valid points. And, and I, you know, Notre Dame-wise, you, you can just tell from their fan base, this is as excited. They're always excited, don't get me wrong. But this seems like a different level to get ready to start the season for them. Yeah, and I, I think it's some expectations now because they have a defensive-minded coach in, in uh, Freeman. But he also has brought in, you know, has replaced – his, his, has done a nice job of replacing his offensive yeah. coordinator. And there were some people that didn't really love Tommy Reese, 
But I think that's going to be the interesting thing with the new offensive coordinator and Hartman. Because Sam Hartman can play football. I think there's going to be no doubt that he can throw the ball down the field if he can stay healthy and uh, stay out of harm's way. Because sometimes he's one of those kids that wants to be a little tough. You know, he tries to be a tough guy, but as he's gotten older, he's learned, hey, go down when I need to. And I think this offense can set him up for success because he's going to have a good running game. You know, they, they may be it, – it, it, it's, it's always interesting this time of year because everybody was saying the same thing, but then you see it later and you say, oh, wow, it yeah. worked out just like we said it. <laughs> Charles, I appreciate you as always. We'll check in as we get uh, closer to the start of the season and once the season gets underway, okay? Tell my guy Cato June, stop going out there holding on tight ends. You know, he's a linebacker. <laughs> Used to be a safety when he was at Michigan. That's my guy. And then uh, tell we'll Reggie. Do it, buddy. I, mean, I, know Reggie I know Reggie's coaching him up out there. Y'all take care.